Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Joining us now, comedian Chelsea Peretti, NBA All-Star Roy Hibbert. Roy is our nation's most treasured actor. He's got chops, he's got talent, and he also has three tickets to Lakers. <laughs> With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it now behind his head. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No. The worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyra. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Oh, nice little new intro there. Did I hear a Rick Fox? A little Rick Fox in (laughs) there. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker in New York and Rick Fox. What's going on, guys? In L.A. In, in of all places, Rick, Los Angeles. That's right. Man, the, the epicenter of the basketball storm. The, earth, the basketball earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> it's shaking all over the place out here, man. We went from Armageddon to the, this is the worst season, going to be the worst season in Lakers history to Phil Jackson for five minutes thinking he's coming back to a whole a whole different ball of wax after Mike Brown gets fired and. And Mike D'Antoni's the head coach. Yeah, uh, I had my stopwatch going. I think it was two minutes and 20 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I mean, a crazy set of circumstances, obviously. Uh, the last time we were all together on the show here, we were we were dissecting the Lakers' issues. Now we have to go and dissect the whole other part of this this madness that's going on out there. But we, we should... This is all over the place. <laughs> we should point out that uh, that last week on the show, one of us, um, which who was not named Lang Whitaker or Seku Smith, <laughs> made it made some very good points about how that the the, uh, the Princeton offense was not a long term solution for the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, long term so, being the end of the week, apparently. Yeah, I didn't know it was going to be that long short term. I, I had it at least that long term till Thanksgiving. <laughs> I got to brush up on my my skills. I didn't know that Jim Buss listened to the Hangtime podcast. Apparently, he does. You know what? I'm yeah. a little not. You know what, Lang? Now I'm a little curious. I'm wondering if Rick played us last week and he knew something was going down, and just you know, they got that Laker code. Maybe you can't tell these secrets. Well, look, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I obviously uh, was was predicting that Phil Jackson the last few days here was going to be the Lakers coach. So I'm not, I'm not as inside as I thought I was. <laughs> well, look, let's. Let's dive into some of the reactions and, and some of the other stuff that went on in the headlines of the week, guys. Let's let's give a listen here. It's the Hangtime Headlines as Seku and the guys discuss the top stories around the NBA. Sekuna Matata. Matata. Sam from the USA Today paper as the first to report that Brown is out after just five games this season. The bottom line is that the team was not winning at the pace that we expected this team to win. No, I always felt that the 
players didn't buy into the system. Phil Jackson's name has been brought up. He lives in Southern California, so Mike D'Antoni's name has, has been brought up. So I, I got much respect for Phil Jackson, and he's obviously one of the greatest coaches of all time. But I'm not sure he'd be a perfect fit for the situation. Everybody in basketball believes that this is Phil Jackson's job to turn down if he wants the job. The question is, does, is that all he wants? A stunner overnight from L.A., uh, early morning East Coast time, late night out on the West Coast. The Lakers did a complete 180 with their coaching search, going from Phil Jackson and instead choosing Mike D'Antoni. There it is, guys. The, new, the, the only headline of the week that apparently matters. L.A., Phil Jackson, Mike D'Antoni, Mike Brown. Rick, uh, let me start with you. Was Phil the best choice for this team specifically, or was he the best choice for the Lakers in terms of the culture, the drama, and what you deal with as the the head coach of that that team? Well, I think one of the biggest uh, reasons Mike Brown may have been uh, so quickly uh, exited was his inability to calm a city, not so much the locker room or, or his players, but to really quill a city. And and you need that in, in Los Angeles. The expectations are far too great, too high. You put together this team of additions of Dwight Howard and Steve Nash, instant expectations. Look, look this city expected them to win a championship by, the, by Thanksgiving, and it was not looking that way, right. uh, obviously. So, you know, was Phil Jackson the – was he going to be the perfect coach for this scenario? When I was asked, when I first was, you know, heard of the firing of Mike, my first thoughts went to Mike D'Antoni because I didn't think Phil was an option. Mm. I didn't think Phil uh, would would return in the, in this fashion because he usually needs a, you know, a training camp to implement his system, the triangle. But I thought, all in all, the issues so far this team has been faced with is what are you going to do with Steve Nash as your point guard? Uh, why are we running the Princeton offense? And if you're going to get the most out of a 38, 37-year-old, you know, two-time MVP, and it's Steve Nash, we know Steve Nash needs a system that allows him to be Steve Nash. And we weren't seeing that quite yet. Mike, Dan, Mike D'Antoni, uh, his system allows him to do that. So, so I didn't initially go to Phil, but when I started hearing the chance, you know, peer pressure, I joined in. You know, we want Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and and it did. I mean, you, you, you go where, where the options take you in regards to who can lead you to a championship. Mike hasn't done that yet. Uh, and so he has his work cut out. Yeah. Lang, you heard the chance. I mean, we know what, what Lakers Nation had in mind for the replacement. Um, how do you see D'Antoni fitting not just with, with Steve Nash, but with Kobe and with Meta and – with managing that locker room and making sure that all those guys understand their roles in this new, you know, offense and new scheme and everything else they got going on. I wrote, I wrote a column about this yesterday for GQ. And I I said that the only way this whole thing could have been more bizarre was if David Petraeus was somehow involved with it. I mean, (laughs) this whole thing's been crazy. Uh, Are you saying he knows Jeannie? You would take it there, (laughs) wouldn't you? The one thing, the one thing, you know, to what Rick said about, Phil Jackson, you know, being able to calm the city. Uh, you know, Mike D'Antoni was here in New York for the last couple of years. And by the time he left, I'm not so sure the city had, had totally uh, had his back or that he yeah. was going to be able to calm this city. 
I mean, I don't know if anyone suspected Mike D'Antoni would have to leave for the Knicks to become an offensive juggernaut, which is which is basically what's happened this season. Um, so as far as D'Antoni goes, I, I understand, you know, you got a pick and roll point guard, you get a coach who runs a pick and roll and, and uh, a coach who's obviously had a lot of success with Steve Nash in the past. Um, I guess the question is, do you want a coach who's had a lot of success with Steve Nash in the past? Or do you want a coach who's had a lot of success with Kobe Bryant in the past? Um, and and Ooh, both, you bring up a big point there, right? Like, what are I you mean, saying? Is this is this Steve Nash's team? Yeah, you gonna start a fight? I don't know, but I'm just saying you you basically had, that was your choice, right? You could yeah. go one way or the other, and and the Lakers chose to go with with D'Antoni. Now there's other things involved there. I don't know, you know, we don't know about the money involved and the if he wanted a piece of the team or he didn't or what, you know, all this other stuff. But yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We Well, that's speculation, we? though. That's, I mean, I think, you know what, I think, I think that is residual from past negotiations, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily mean that Phil, Phil wouldn't have bent uh, and, and reset the, you know, the clock on the renegotiations and right. start afresh. I, I, you know, if you're the bus family, you gotta, you gotta know it's working. Phil's a part of that. Laker right. history and uh, on the court as well as off the court uh, <laughs> right. being involved with the family uh, and Jeannie Buss. So there's a lot of history there. And, and I don't know if they were ever going to be able to reset negotiations and start with a clean slate because it was too much residuals. And it's why Phil walked away. Maybe he wasn't going to get what he he was uh, he wanted and passed. Doesn't mean he couldn't have worked something out on Monday <laughs> if they right. would have actually called him at you know, 12 in the afternoon instead of 12 or 1 in the morning. Well, if you read the the statement that both Phil Jackson and his agent um, made after the decision came down, they never even got to conditions and demands. It never got there. This this was basically the old Charlie Brown routine, where you get the ball snatched away right before you go to kick it. They they call him up, engage his interest, and I think what it sounds like to me, Rick and and Lang, is that they weren't expecting Phil to say he was interested. It was kind of like let's let's just call Phil because everybody expects us to call Phil, and then they talk to him and he's like, yeah, let's you know, absolutely, right. let's do something. Yeah, so, but you know what? Also, though, you know, Phil had given and alluded to wanting to be back in over mm-hmm. the summer too, though. So mm-hmm. you, you could tell he was itching. Uh, I I just I personally am more and more as we move along here believe that. The, the Mike Brown and the Mike, the Mike Brown transition to the Mike D'Antoni transition, having you know Warren as their agent, that conversation you know was an accident and a, and a beginning, maybe all in the same phone call. I, I don't want to project that out there, but I, I believe that that may have happened. And having Steve Nash and having the, one of the great pick and roll centers of the game on your team, that was the natural flow or first thought, I'm sure, for the Lakers. And then, like you said, the city of L.A. turned turned the Phil Jackson chant on and yeah. had to entertain it. I don't think that's I don't think Phil was their first direction. Mm. So being able to get Mike D'Antoni at the right price, possibly, and him willing to move quickly without having too much thought, like Phil may have interjected, needing a few minutes because he probably didn't expect this to go down. Yeah, he probably needed to go meditate about it or something. <laughs> you know, the other thing to me is this kind of reminds me to use a football analogy. It's kind of like Brett Favre and the, and the Packers. And when do you move on? You know, when is the guy actually retired? When is he done? When do you bring in Aaron Rodgers? When do you find the next guy? Right. And in a way, you know, the way Phil's been, you know, every summer there as well, maybe, you know, okay, one more year. Okay. I'm going to, re- he's retired twice, I believe. 
um, you know, what time, when is he actually done and when do the Lakers, I think this might be, you know, we, we're turning the page. We had a great run with Phil Jackson. We won all these titles. It's been fantastic, but uh, you know, we're not going to fall back on that anymore. We're going to make something new here. We're going to do something different. Well, to follow and, that, to follow that analogy, Lang, the Packers brought in Brett Favre's replacement and had him in place. True. So Phil Jackson had somebody in mind. Yep. As his heir apparent, and Brian the Shaw. Lakers blew that up a couple of years ago and said no thanks. Yeah. And and yeah. they went out and found Mike Brown, who a lot of us thought at the time, and you know, and you always hear guys talk about, well, I know, I know this guy, I know that guy, he's a good guy, but I, I know Mike Brown too. I've known him for years. He's an excellent guy, and and a and a and a guy who everybody knows works his tail off at the craft. But that doesn't make you the right choice for a specific team. And I think, in my eyes, the Lakers' job is much like the Notre Dame coaching job, the Yankees' manager job, <laughs> the you know, and go around and pick out the the iconic position in any sport. And this is the one gig that just can't go to anybody. It has to go to somebody who has an intrinsic respect and understanding of the culture of the position they're taking. And I think. And that job city. was different for Mike Brown. He wasn't a guy that was cut out for that job. Is no, Mike think, is Mike D'Antoni? I think I think a little more than definitely more than Mike because D'Antoni carries himself with a disregard for critics. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't have too much. Uh, he doesn't pay too much attention to right. what, the, what everyone's saying. But this is this is not even you know New York is New York, but New York doesn't have you know the amount of championships that the Lakers have and, and the ex I mean, he's really going to see how hot that seat is. Yeah. And, and it's going to come quick. And especially on the heels of the city wanting Phil in that position, mm-hmm. right. Going to have to deliver and, and he'll deliver on a, on a brand of Showtime basketball that will be entertaining, but he's still going to end, end up having to deliver a championship. And, and his system is taxing. It's physically taxing. And we're not the youngest team. You look at the Oklahoma City Thunders, and I get this is the way of the league. I get that the Miami Heat won a championship playing, playing an up-tempo style. The Oklahoma City Thunder were right there with them playing this pace. But both of those teams aren't as old as the Lakers. Oh, and it, May and June, when the when the gas tank is on a quarter filled, and you got to bring seven games in a series at 100 miles per hour at this tempo, Miami Heat play defense. Right. And I don't know right now. I've yet to see the Lakers play defense. They're going to have to. They have defensive-minded players, but will they have anything left in the tank in June? That's a great point. And Rick, you mentioned Warren, and, and Warren being Warren Legary, who's the agent for – Talk about a strange situation. Warren Legary, uh, and, and Lang, we've talked to him here on the Hangtime Podcast before yep. um, at Summer League. He, he's one of the architects of the, the Las Vegas Summer League, obviously, and the guy who runs that um, great showcase in the summers for NBA fans. But he's the agent for both Mike Brown and Mike D'Antoni. And we talked to him uh, a, a little while ago, and, and you guys need to hear this exchange in this interview we did with him. But we talked to him a little while ago something you might want to take a listen to and just get an understanding for the behind-the-scenes nature of what goes on for the guy who's basically in the middle of the outgoing coach and the incoming coach with the Los Angeles Lakers. Joining us now here on the Hang Time Podcast, Warren Legary, the agent, coincidentally, guys, of both Mike D'Antoni and Mike Brown. Um, Warren, thanks for joining us. We know you're busy uh, on your way to L.A., 
Can you explain to us how this goes down where one client is, is walking out of the door and you have another one that's subsequently walking through the door that that guy's walking out of? And, and what kind of position that puts you in as, a, as their representative? Well, I mean, the position is always be honest, be transparent. And, you know, at, when they decided to release Mike Brown, it wasn't because they thought that they then would be pushing for Mike Antoni. One happened that was clearly separate and distinct from the other event. So the Mike Brown thing, I would think you would probably also, uh, you know, would agree was something that caught everybody out of left field. It was a big, big, big surprise. So um, we weren't anticipating it. In fact, I was just talking to somebody that morning, like, who had told me, hey, look, is there anything going on? I said, look, it's a lot of noise. Turned out there was more than just noise. Right. So what, whatever happened with Mike was uh, – it's clearly separate and distinct from um, what's been heard with Mike Antonio. Uh, Warren, hey, Lang Whitaker here. I was just curious, out of yourself, Mike Brown, and Mike D'Antoni, who was, who was the most surprised in this whole situation? You know what? I think we would probably be talking on this one. Uh, I don't think Mike saw it coming, especially after he got the uh, collective soul vote of confidence. Um, so it wasn't something that you felt. And also they had that blowout of Detroit. So you felt like it was starting to take root what he was looking to do. Right. Um, clearly after that, we thought it was, you know, it was Phil's job. We were just happy that Mike got mentioned in the same company as, uh, as, as somebody who is in Luster's coach, such as Phil Jackson. But we were just happy to be mentioned in the company. Um, and, uh, when when the call came, I, again, I thought it was, you know, maybe just a way for them to leverage, you know, Phil and, and, and to present another one. But it was anything but that. They were looking to make a deal when they called. Warren, Rick Fox here. Uh, I know you're coming uh, here to L.A. today. You're on your way, and I'm sure there'll be a press conference. Uh, Mike has talked about. Hey, I don't think the press, the press conference just will possibly be tomorrow. We're still trying oh, to get settled in. Mike. Okay. Uh, right. So it, uh, we haven't spoken or heard a ton from Mike Brown before we get to Mike D'Antoni here and the talk of uh, the transition. But how is Mike's uh, feelings uh, at this point now, having, I'm sure, great expectations for leading this team uh, throughout the course of this season and having it uh, end so abruptly? Um, clearly, you know, some of the key components of this, one, either we're injured and coming back. You know, we had Steve Nash for a game in a quarter. Um, Dwight was still working his way back into shape, and he's still, you know, not near 100% physically and where he's going to be. And, you know, Kobe was also nursing some injuries in the foot and was uh, trying to work his way through that. So you weren't getting a lot of practice time to help implement what was going on. So, you know, it was something that Mike felt was, a, was an incomplete. He would have certainly loved more time to prove that this thing could have worked. Warren, the premise of this whole thing obviously was that, you know, they would have a day to, to consider their options with Phil Jackson. But Mike D'Antoni brings quite a different stroke to the Lakers than what Phil would have brought in terms of the offense and the way he operates. Is this something that, in your eyes, can be as, as bountiful as Kobe Bryant and Steve Nash and everybody else thinks in terms of he's going to take a guy like Dwight Howard and, and some of those other players on that roster and put them in a the system they've never had a chance to play in before. So in terms of their production and some of those other guys, not Nash, who obviously has some, some long history with, with Mike D'Antoni, but certainly those other guys, is this something that you see being hugely beneficial for some of those other guys? 
Well, I didn't want to even profess to be a smart guy in terms of <laughs> offenses or that. I mean, that's not what I can tell you that I was with Mike. He was building that monster in Phoenix. I watched the way the players fought in. I watched their confidences grow. You were getting, you know, performances out of players who were never doing the things that they ended up doing. Clearly, it, ultimately, the game is about chemistry. As much as you want to have all the talent in the world, if they can't play together or at least be, you know, committed together, it's not going to work. But the one thing that you always feel is that Mike is really, really a player's coach. It's like playing for him. His system makes it an easy, easy get for them. I mean, no matter what, everybody feels they're involved. You know, and that's half the battle, I believe, from my experience, is that the players believe in what they're doing. Ultimately, they'll have a chance to even exceed their own expectations. And when you can watch a guy like a Steve Nash, who is a really, really, really good player in this league, then become a two-time MVP, you know, you start really looking hard at what Mike does. And then, you know, there's a lot of positive to what Mike brings to the table, at least from my observations and being around. Uh, Warren, one more thing. You know, we've heard a lot about Mike D'Antoni being, uh, having, just having had knee replacement surgery and that kind of impacting a little bit when he's going to actually, you know, be fully mobile and on the sidelines and all that stuff. Just wondering, when when do you, do you or does he expect to, to be able to, to be there, you know, up and about well, and all that stuff? I, mean, I think as soon as he possibly can, um, you know, clearly we're moving his uh, recovery a little bit ahead of schedule, but uh, we'll know a lot more when he gets here. And you were a player. You know when you had a couple things that were uh, getting you. Once you came here game time, the adrenaline kicks in, and all of a sudden you start feeling like you can do a little bit more than they're telling you you can do. And I'm assuming that that possibly also get part of what, you know, Mike, Mike's decision. Um, we're going to probably have to hold him back, but I think day and once we get through tomorrow we'll know how soon we'll be able to be able to, you know enact guidelines hey warren rick fox here one last question uh, uh for those fans out there that may have a desire to someday be an agent and uh, join the ranks and represent coaches and players uh, what can you can you share with them the timeline of of brilliance uh, unfortunate for Mike Brown with a call uh, received about a firing. Did you keep the Lakers on the line to begin a conversation about Mike D- D'Antoni? Or well, how, how much time transpired between that call and them calling you back? And then at the time that they called you back, what did you pitch them to give an edge for Mike over Phil Jackson? Well, first thing I would tell anybody looking to do what I get counseling, I think it's really, really invaluable. <laughs> Um, the second thing, look, our business, like a lot of other things in your life, is a product of a lot of luck and timing. And clearly, I would love to believe I'm the genius behind this. Not. It's because Mike is a very valuable, I mean, valuable commodity in this league. He does something that you can do. And really, it's your product of your, of your, the strength of your client. As much as we like to believe that somehow we're creating all this myth and, and mythology, it's, you know, your people aren't dumb. You want to make sure that you remind people of their strength. You want to make sure that you're always touting the things that they're capable of doing so that reporting how it fits in your situation. You know it, and it's still up to the, clearly the coach has had to establish himself. This is not the first time that Mitch has run across them. They've had their, you know, their histories between the two franchises when he was with Phoenix. So you start to get to know a little bit more about the person. So, you know, sometimes you start thinking what it would be like if that guy coached us. 
Warren Legary joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Warren, thanks so much, and uh, fly safe, my friend. Remember, Vegas Summer League, we're going to be bigger and better than ever. Oh, no, we won't forget <laughs> you. We'll talk to you again for sure before then. All right, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, thanks Warren. Guys, you, you hear Warren Legary's take on this thing, and, and, and I appreciate him not trying to cheerlead for one guy over the other and, and, and have kind of a real sterile approach to it. Obviously, I won't say it's a conflict of interest for him, but it's certainly a confluence of interests going on <laughs> when he's got, when he's got his his one client that you know that's that's on his way helping him pack his bags to leave, and his other client he's got to get to L.A. to move into that same office. It just it seems strange to me how you navigate that. And Rick, I thought you nailed it when you asked him about the timeline and yeah, how that works. he warned me, though, Seku. He warned me. Yeah. <laughs> he almost answered it, but he showed me why he's a really good agent. Yeah. Because <laughs> he kept he, he protected his clients and he protected the employer in yeah. the Lakers because I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of what that timeline actually looked at. All I know, it was awful quick. And, and you talk about <laughs> negotiating big contracts. I don't know how that could have gotten done. Uh, you know, as quickly as it did, if it had if that conversation hadn't started, you know, la- the week, you know, the week earlier. To some, to some uh, level of fairness, or to some defense, whatever, I do think if you're, in, you know, if you're an NBA team and you need a coach, Mike D'Antoni's on your short list, yeah. right? Totally, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not shocked that that you know, and and also Warren represents like every coach in the world. Yeah, so. he's on speed dial as well. I mean, it's, <laughs> so, you don't got me. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say, Rick was so nice to him because when Rick goes into coaching, he needs it. He's gonna be there. <laughs> the other, the other part about it, this whole thing, guys, that that really, I kind of got amped about and wrote about it on the Hangtime blog, which means I probably won't get a, a Christmas card from Kobe and uh, the Bryant family. But the, I saw I'll his. Send you mine. I send you mine. Thanks, man. I saw I saw his Facebook post where he's kind of dismissing the idea that. Mike Danny Tony has, you know, his teams have struggled with defense, but that doesn't mean anything now. We'll take care of that. It's all good. You know, kind of gave us the little Mamba out, you know, sign off and everything. And I, the arrogance that comes with, and I, I'm not using arrogance in a bad way. You you should be arrogant to an extent when you've won as much as Kobe has and had as much success as he has. But this idea that Forget everything you know and have seen about Mike D'Antoni's teams in the past. It'll be different here with this group, with the Lakers. That kind of that didn't sit well with me Monday morning. And maybe it was blowback from from Phil not being a part of this thing and all the all the fun I knew we'd have if Phil Jackson was coaching the Lakers again. Right. But Kobe just struck me as a guy, as so dismissive of this idea that Phil was crucial to that Lakers success. I mean. And, and Rick, you were part of it. I'm, there has to be so many interlocking pieces for a championship team to come together. And I just felt like Kobe dismissed that a little bit in the way he talked about it. Well, I think what Kobe has been notoriously uh, consistent about is, you know, presenting a, a, a front that everything is under control, and we're gonna, you know, and it is. It is a means to to not uh, give away to your to your opponents and the rest of the league that there's any concern whatsoever. We used to carry ourselves in the midst of our championship uh, runs, and it is it is stems from Phil Jackson is where we got it. This air of we're concerned only about ourselves and no one else, and anyone else that even presents a front of threat 
It's only in their minds, not in ours. <laughs> right. And right. and and, it, and it's this this is the Kobe Bryant we've grown to accustomed to seeing, and so, but we also have grown accustomed to seeing the Kobe Bryant who will shoot those those daggers in those eyes at right. a coach and have him fired the next day because <laughs> because it wasn't but two weeks earlier he had he was telling everybody to shut up and he had Mike Brown's back right. yeah. Yeah. and everything was under control. So I think it's under control until it isn't. And we won't know, you know, for at least a couple months what Mike D'Antoni has in, you know, has in mind for this team defensively. You know, we know he's going to come in and I think he's going to lead offensively. That's what he does. You had Mike Brown, who was a defensive-minded coach. He, I think he got fired more because his teams weren't defending. Because one right. thing, you know what you're known for. If you're not doing that, then then you got a problem. Right. You know, Never expressed himself as an offensive-minded coach. One Damn. thing, one thing, real quick is that also you know Kobe and Phil, they haven't had the most uh, <laughs> the most peachy keen relationship <laughs> through the years either. I mean, you can understand if Kobe might still harbor a little bit of resentment in there. Maybe he still has copies of Phil's books with the things highlighted <laughs> in there. You know, <laughs> well, Kobe also, Kobe also bowed. In essence, gave Phil his respect, and just by you know by bowing down and, and saying publicly, yeah. you know, I, I want you back. Yeah. yeah, and and he he you know, and Phil was I think prepared to do that for Kobe. So he's got to show it and still you know look before Phil there was Mike D'Antoni in Kobe's life, going all the way back to Italy. Yeah, he looked up to Mike D'Antoni. That's where the number eight comes from. Yeah. So you could say this is full circle. You could say that in some way, you know. There's been these conversations before, I guarantee you, where Kobe has expressed to the Lakers, why don't we get Mike? Yeah. Why don't we get Mike? And I'm telling you, that's happened before. And so this is not the first time, just, you know, conversation-wise, like like Warren would say, or like you would say, Seku, that, that they, they've talked about, they've had him on a short list, Lang, like you said. Mike yeah. D'Antoni has been on their list. So Kobe's just instilling to the city that this is our guy. Right. This is our guy since right. Phil is no longer an option. The- the funny part about it is few people have lived through the twists, turns, <laughs> trials, and tribulations of this Lakers saga over the years uh, like our next guest. And it's it's our main man, BT, Broderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, BT, be- before we even welcome you into the show, I, how do, what does this look like from the Clippers' side of the street in L.A.? Knowing that you you know you cover the Clippers now for the Los Angeles Times, but a longtime Lakers beat writer, um, you know for years and years out there in Los Angeles, what are the Clippers doing when they're watching this Lakers situation unfold every day? Hey, you can I say this first? <laughs> you know I'm you first, can. You know you when can. When I started covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. When <laughs> Rick Fox left, I was bald. <laughs> okay? They wore me out. <laughs> now, to answer your question, <laughs> you know, actually the Clippers, they keep their messages, let's worry about us. Uh-huh. The Clippers have been a hot, hot mess forever. <laughs> right. And so right now, they got some good things going for them. I mean, they know, they, they see what's going on across the way. They see the drama, but they also know that they've been a drama-filled team forever, and now they're not. They know that they have two great pieces in Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. They know they have a great bench. They know they have a really good opportunity 
to not just perhaps take over L.A., but to become a really good team in the NBA. So I believe that when they say their focus is just on their organization, on their players, on them trying to get better as a team, because if they were about the Lakers, you know, that's not going to – they're not going to win that. I, I'll never forget when the Clippers had media day, they were on page nine, and the Lakers had a story on page one on Mike Brown. They right. were livid about that. Right. Well, they can't fight that machine. They can't beat that machine. So they should just forget about it and just worry about being a Clipper basketball team. Hey, hey, BT, I think I saw that same that same paper. I think the Lakers were actually on page one through eight. <laughs> <laughs> and right. then the Clippers came to the The Clippers were next to the obituary section. I mean, like hey. they were dead. <laughs> hey, Brad. Hey, Brad. Uh, you know, you talk about the Clippers, and, and we, we I've loved watching them this year. Uh, because they have they have a different presence to them. Is this stemming from Vinny's uh, approach, or is this more led Chris Paul? Because you know, getting winning championship basketball needs you know you need a leader leader that's been there, taking a, a team to to the finals, knows how to execute and push them through. Is is Vinny there for the long haul? That's a great question. Something that I'm not sure about. And if he's not. I don't know who Donald Sterling, the owner of the Clippers, would bring in. The best coaches are making between four to seven million dollars a year. Well, Vinny's making about question. two, so in some ways you get what you pay for. <laughs> is, is Donald Sterling willing to take that chance and to pay those coaches who command that kind of money and who command the man that kind of attention and who are known to be great coaches? Will he do that? You know, I don't know. If he doesn't do that, then Vinny, to me, should be the guy going forward. I mean, he's yeah. been a good soldier for them. He's been a good voice for them in the community. He's been a, a he's been a pretty good coach for this team because he allows them to do what they want to do. But Chris Paul has played a role in this, as has Blake Griffin. But also the quiet voice has been Chauncey Billups. Hmm. Uh-huh. He's the only guy on that team other than Lamar Odom right now that's won an NBA championship. He's been a Finals MVP, as you know, Rick. <laughs> he's been a Finals MVP. So, right. so he's quietly helping to control things there. He's made phone calls this summer to different players to come over and play for the Clippers. You know, so they have a, a lot of people that are involved in this, and they're making sure that they kind of stay the course and they can change, as they keep saying, change their culture. BT, one thing, you know, Lang Whitaker here, by the way. We were talking earlier about Phil and the fans in L.A., and, you know, they obviously wanted Phil. And, uh, you know, just from your experience with Phil and around all these knuckleheads like Rick, um, (laughs) (laughs) do you you think this is the last we've seen of Phil Jackson as a coach for good now? You know, my coworker Mike Bresenhan spoke with Phil on, I think it was Monday, and the – Implication he got that this was it, and even Cole, even Phil's comment was something like he wanted to come to the Lakers, it was L.A., he'd been here, and that this was it for him. Hmm. So I, I think the only team that Phil would coach would have been the Lakers. Now, he may come back in a front office capacity. Right. Now, that's a possibility. He's talked about that before. The talk about him going to Portland as a head coach was never an option. The idea about him going to Orlando as a head coach was never an option. It was all about going into the front office in some capacity. So that's the only way I think we may see him back. I would be surprised if he came back to coach again. But as someone tweeted today, 
What if he came back and coached the Clippers? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, you got exactly. 95% of the city screaming for Phil. Yep. Yeah. What a what an opportunity. You, it's not like the Clippers don't have personnel. And not to step on you, Vinny Del Negro, I'm sorry. I'm just saying that at some point, if you could – if you could actually bring yourself to, as an organization, make that commitment for a couple of years, you have the personnel in place to actually make a run with a Phil Jackson coach. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know if Donald Sterling would do that. Can you imagine the 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 story that would be in L.A. <laughs> Phil coaching the Clippers with Kobe, you know, and D'Antoni and these other guys. On, oh, that would be spectacular. Look, I already don't have any hair. I mean, I would have a, just a scalp up there now. <laughs> BT, let me ask you about something that I don't think anybody has really, t- you know, discussed in this whole thing. Mike D'Antoni's offense requires certain types of players to be effective. Like, you have to have some shooters that can run down the floor and, and park in the corners and, and knock down shots when – the pick and roll starts and, and Steve Nash is looking for option B and option C, you know, see, is there any talk? Have you heard anything about this roster and what kind of changes they'll have to make to it in order to suit a Mike D'Antoni offense? Because I don't see those guys, you know, Joe Johnson shot 47% his last year in Phoenix playing in that wow. offense, you know, from three. I mean, he shot 47% from three, wow. which wow. was just staggering at the time. You know, there you need a certain type of player to be effective in that offense. And, Rick, I throw that out to you as well. Don't you have to make some roster changes if you're the Lakers in order to play Mike D'Antoni's system at its peak? Well, I, oh, I They just made on. roster changes, didn't they? <laughs> 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 I don't know what more they can do with the roster. I mean, I read a Mike D'Antoni quote this morning, which was kind of funny. He said, maybe with this team it won't be seven seconds or less. It'll be 20 seconds or less. <laughs> which is what I assume it will be. I mean, to your point, thank you. I don't see Kobe Bryant running to the corner. No. I don't see Meta World Peace trudging to the corner <laughs> to get to a three-point shot. Kobe operates all over the court when he wants to, how he wants to. You know, so I'm curious to see how it works. You know, I guess we'll find out when he gets here and they have their first practice and their first game. But I just don't quite – I can't quite grasp the idea of his system from Phoenix and from New York working with this current Laker team. Well, what, what I would do is I would run out that Mike D'Antoni system for about two months, mm-hmm. right till about the All-Star break, have, a, have some of these guys look really statistically impressive <laughs> because they don't have any draft picks to, to make moves with, uh, and it's going to require some of their young players to actually look like – the players you would hope they'd develop into, and that's what Mike D'Antoni's systems actually afford you. You get you get most of your rosters with statistics that look pretty impressive and actually become attractive trade pieces. Mm-hmm. They do need right. some shooters if they're gonna, like you said, if they're gonna be running up and down and and and, and ramping up to possessions, which we don't know they're gonna do. We're just all speculating that. Right. Yeah. Then they need some perimeter shooting, and that's their greatest weakness right now, outside of you know health and age is who's going to knock down shots for them. It doesn't seem to stop guys from taking the shots and watching that game last night. <laughs> I mean, that fourth well, quarter, they were firing a, up shots. Yeah. What's that, BT? That's, that's a different 
story stopping, guys. That's not quite what Jerry Buss has in mind right now. He wants to put <laughs> in the basket. Right. Right. Is right. is it, BT, you you've been immersed in that culture for years. Is this more about the Lakers wanting to make sure they they entertain? And I say this, I say this, understanding fully that the Showtime Lakers didn't they they weren't just exciting. They won, they won championships. So it wasn't like it was all flash and no substance. The knock on Mike D'Antoni's teams for a long time in Phoenix, even when they were having all of that regular season success was that it was flash but no substance, and that's what always kept them from getting over the hump in the playoffs. Um, was the was the decision for the Lakers more about we have to get people excited and energized about this team, or was it we think Mike D'Antoni can take this team to a championship? Well, I always thought excitement was winning championships and having trophies and having parades on Figueroa. <laughs> go crazy. Oh, you're spoiled. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying, Rick, I only saw you guys win those three titles when you played. I only saw two more. I only experienced how much fun it was to see that happen. No. So I, it's interesting because listening to Mitch Kupchak talk yesterday, he mentioned that the owner, Jerry Buss, wants to go back to the Showtime days, that he has always wanted his team to be more offensive-minded than defensive-minded. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Hiring Mike D'Antoni might help them become more offensive-minded. We don't know yet because we don't know if that system is going to work. So that's going to be the thrust of what they do. Sure, they could be exciting, and they could be dull in the playoffs and lose. So would you rather have a team that's going to score? How about the Steelers Jackson's team? They scored a lot of points. They were not some team that scored 80 and 90. They were putting up 100 points a night on teams because they were so efficient and they knew the system so well, and because they had, obviously, they had Shaq and had Kobe, but you still had the Rick Fox and the Robert Ory and the Brian Shaw and the Derek Fisher. You had guys that could <laughs> knock down shots. Right. So it worked. It was, it was exciting enough for fans to go, yeah, we won't feel back. Right, right, right. And, and, and that's my big concern, Rick. I don't see on this Lakers roster, and I was having this conversation Monday afternoon with David Aldridge and Vince Cellini when we were doing the beat. And uh, Bresnahan was on there. Mike Bresnahan from the LA Times on there with us. I don't see the championship role players on this Lakers roster that all of those championship teams feel coached for the Lakers had. I don't see those glue guys. You know, you even talk about a guy like Trevor Ariza, who at the time was the ideal fit for that team, you know, when they were making that journey to, to a championship. I don't see those sorts of glue players on this Lakers roster. And did we did we know he was Trevor Ariza before he was Trevor Ariza? Absolutely you know what not. I mean? Absolutely not. So, but I'm so saying maybe there maybe there is a guy like that on the sideline that we just don't know is going to be that guy. Which one? I mean, I don't I don't know people who even know who's on this Lakers roster past <laughs> you know <laughs> Steve Blake. Maybe maybe I mean, Devin Ebanks athletically, Darius Morris. I, look, I I look at the roster and I think Joey the additions Meeks. of Antoine, Antoine Jameson and uh, Meeks were supposed to be that, but yeah. look where look where they came from. Look at their careers. Great, great individual, you know, established players in the league, but neither of them played in, in winning situations. I mean, Meeks last year under under the Philadelphia situation, they won games, but none of them have particularly gone far. Antoine under Mike Brown in Cleveland, they had good runs there, yeah. but. And win championships, so so that's a lot of pressure, I think, to have young players like Jordan Hill, uh, Darius Morris, uh, Odom, all these guys that are 
having to find their way in the league, let alone be a presence off the bench. And, and you know, that's it's not there right now. Yeah, it, they have to develop it. Kobe and Nash and those guys have to bring these guys along quickly because. Man, one injury, like you see with Steve Nash, one injury goes down, dynamics of that whole team shifts. Absolutely. And you have older players, you don't escape you don't escape injuries. You, you, you're going to have to play with them if you're going to have a chance to win. Can I read you guys a uh, tweet that just crossed the wire from <laughs> Irvin Magic Johnson? Uh-oh. Oh. Uh, it says, the reason I haven't tweeted in two days is because I've been mourning Phil Jackson not being hired as the Lakers head coach. <laughs> Ooh. You know what? Mike Tony. I just I, listen. I'm serious. I feel like this 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 no feel hangover is going to be stuck like a like an ugly cloud over Mike D'Antoni all season. And and Rick and BT, you guys can answer this better than anybody. What is the what is the threshold for success for this Lakers team? Is this a championship or bust season? Like, is it championship or nothing? Or does Mike D'Antoni have a season to get acclimated and get this team used to his style and how he wants them to play before he faces that ultimate championship or nothing mentality? I think you said it best. It's a championship or bus. B-U-S-S. In other words, there's a lot of heat from this city because the choice that was made and you know, it is collective choice of Dr. Jerry Buss, who we trust dearly for so many years with his decisions, his younger son, Jim and Mitch Kupchak is going to fall on Jim, Jim's Jim's head because he's received so much criticism, but yet made such great moves in the off season. Uh, and for a moment, short lived moment, had a lot of love coming from the city towards him. And he turned the corner and, and this, the Lakers were in great hands and everyone felt confident. Well, I haven't lost that confidence, but it definitely the city has put the, pulled the microscope back out again. And they're like, okay, we know what Dr. Jerry Buss has done over the years. But Jim, now they're telling us you're in command. You turned down Phil Jackson? Man, this D'Antoni situation better really work. Or he's going to be back in that situation where this is going to be labeled as, uh, you know, one of Jim Buss's moves, uh, like, unlike, you know, the Antoine, uh, not Antoine, Andrew uh, Bynum uh, situation where he was married to Andrew for so many years. Right. But look, look how brilliant that's looking right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so maybe D'Antoni will eventually be the, the pick, the right pick. But until then, it'll be championship the city's expecting or they're going to be talking about the bus. Wow. I couldn't put it better myself. Brad Turner. Yes, sir. BT, my man, thanks for coming on with us, man. We appreciate it. Listen, I'm working on it now. I'm trying to see you at Christmas. I'm trying to make my way to L.A. for that, that Christmas Day action. Out Bring there. gifts if you come out. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to just make sure I get there first. I'll, work, I'll get some gifts when I get there. <laughs> swap, meet, swap meet is going on at Christmas, right? Oh, come on, man. Every day out here. That's what I want to go to the Rick Fox swap meet, though. No, no, That's what I want to go to. <laughs> Brad Turner from the Los Angeles Times joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. BT, we will talk to you soon, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, man. Peace. All right, BT. Later. All right, Rick. <laughs> Listen, don't be mad at me when you see that as a headline on a blog post. No, NBA. Not at all, I'm man. telling you, that's because that's exactly. Listen, that is exactly what this this thing has turned out. I I feel horrible for Jeannie Bus. She's the one bus yep. 
that I, that I'm really feeling bad about because she's been in the middle of this tug of war, you know, yeah. by by Jim Buss and, and Phil Jackson. Whether they're doing it overtly or not, whether it's been a you know the kind of fight that everybody would assume, she's always been stuck between yeah. these factions. You know, one side pulling one way and one side pulling the other. Because I I felt like we piled on Jim Buss the other day. When Mike Brown got fired, I was like, man, this is Jim. You know, in my mind, I'm saying this is Jim Buss's fault. He had to have his guy instead of taking Brian Shaw, who they, you know. But now he's going, now he sees the error of his ways and he's going to go back and get Phil and blah, blah, And then overnight, you know, you wake up the morning that D'Antoni got the job and it was like, this dude did it again. I was shocked. You know. <laughs> I was shocked. You know what? Look at it this way, too. Dr. Buss is still with us. He, you know, although he's ailing, he's still with us, right? Right. So I, I can't help but think that the, the the buck must stop with the bus, daddy bus. Right, right. And, and at the end of the day, you know, if he really wants to get back to Showtime and if he really walked away from Phil a couple times before, you know, it's still his team. And, and, and you know, he wants, he wants Showtime. He wants to get up and down and – and at the end of the day, look though, this team has only won championships with two coaches. I know. I two know. coaches, Pat Riley and Phil Jackson. That's craziness. And you think about that. That's that's amazing, you know, to think that all is it seventeen now? Well, no, I mean team? all of all of the ones in the modern era have come under those two guys. Yes. Yeah. So so you know, that's that's, that's to, have Phil, to have Phil hanging right there. And it's not like Phil only won three. <laughs> you know, he won five for you in the last seven years or wow. so, right? Yeah, and you, and, didn't, you didn't even have to go up I, to Montana, like, and, and find him on his property somewhere, like. Yeah, that's a hard one to say goodbye. That's a hard one to let go. Yeah, but. yeah. Uh, well, we, listen, I know we're going to beat this. We're going to beat this story up for, for months and months. It's obviously going to be a, a huge part of the narrative of this season in Los Angeles and beyond. Um, I'm just, I think we just got lucky that we got so many tentacles out there with people with connections. I, I, I was thinking when it all went down, I was like, boy, I can't wait to talk to Rick <laughs> and I wait to get Rick on the podcast this week to find out what his, you know, <laughs> what you, just what it feels like, because I know there's a loyalty to the organization for the right. guys who have played for the Lakers, but also when you win championships with people, that's a bond that doesn't go away. I mean, and. Your your understanding and trust in what Phil Jackson does is going to be different than somebody who's in that Lakers locker room right now, just tooling around, glad to be wearing that jersey and, and enjoying the city. Hey, I talked to Phil, I, you know, over the weekend. I hit him up. He told me, like we joked earlier, doing some meditating, doing some soul searching, <laughs> figuring it out. I was like, bro, I'm here for you. Any way you need me, I'm here to support you. Let's get this train back on track. Right, right, and. When so I tell you, when you I tell you, to, you were angling for that assistant coaching. It'd be only one man I would coach with. I'll tell right. you that today, only one man I would stop all of all this this, this cushy life we got here talking on, on <laughs> talking on the radio and me going to movie sets and TV sets and hanging out at NBA TV. I got a good life, man. I'm blessed, but yeah. I really—that's the one man who told me when I, you know, we, you talked about Chauncey Billups earlier. That 2004 NBA championship, we lost. My last game, I cried my eyes out in the palace mm. in the showers, knowing that that was the end of my career. By the time we got back to L.A. off the plane, before I could before I could get away, he wanted to see me. We sat in a town car 
He didn't know what direction he was going in with his career. I knew I was done. He knew I was done because I told him, mm. anybody who wants to talk to me, they better talk to me now because there ain't going to be no more exit interviews. I'm done. <laughs> and he called me and he we, stepped, we went to the town car and he said, Rick, I think you should stay in the game. You would make a great coach. And I have not been able to shake that to this day. Mm. I, when I saw he might was coming back, I was thinking to myself, yo, bro, if you're coming back, Maybe I could maybe try this coaching thing because I haven't been able to shake this thing out of my head. And that was eight years ago. Wow. That's that's deep. That's a great story. It would be funny if we found out that, like, Jim Clemens or somebody was like, hey, Phil, go tell Ricky be a good coach. That would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Lang. Lang has got problems. You know what You know what else Lang has? And it pains me to say yeah, this, Rick. Say it. Say it. An unblemished record from my bragging rights segment last week and I and I'm who what Lang went yes sir perfect undefeated Lang four and oh four and oh hold on man guys, I didn't I, even I, I didn't even remember you. my picks <laughs> well you don't want to remember them it's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line <laughs> before I right before I get to my picks I pushed the button there. That's what I'm saying. Right before I get to my Sterling two and two, uh, you got to go four and zero oh if you want to. Okay, to yeah, that's talks. that's cold blood. <laughs> what uh, were the games again? Ah, uh, that was last week. We're moving on. Don't worry uh, about it. You won in three. Just just know that your face will be at the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the chart, Rick. This week. Oh that's man. Greg Wagan, our, our super producer, is in there. He's gonna he's gonna crank up the new round of picks for us here, and we'll we'll get to it. We got to listen. We cannot let this stand. Lang going undefeated is unacceptable. All right, so here we go. We got uh, four more games for this week. The first game is Orlando at Toronto. Seku, you go first. Orlando at Toronto? <laughs> That's random. Why is that, <laughs> Why is that game Name on the six picks? players on each team. Come on, man. I, listen, all right, I'm going with Toronto. I'm going with, the, going with T-Dot and the home team. Rick? I know you want to draft off of, off of me, Lang. Because I can't go one and three two weeks in a row. I'm going with Jose Calderon's return to the point guard position, almost having a triple-double last night. And I'm taking the Toronto Raptors. Besides, I was born there, too. That's true. That's good. Um, I, I would take <clears> – <throat> that's a tough game. I, I, I'll i take Orlando. There you go. It's fine. Nice, go. nice. Mixing it up. First All right, second down. game. Brooklyn at Sacramento. Ooh. Brooklyn. Brooklyn has a team? <laughs> Sacramento has a team? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take Brooklyn. Is it the first game of the road trip? Are you uh, not allowed to tell me? We ain't look. There y'all go. And looking. It's got to be off the top of the head. I don't, I don't think it is. I can tell you. I don't think it is. Okay, Brooklyn. Are they, are they coming from Los Angeles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they played. They played the Lakers on Thursday, right? On TNT or is... Hangover. Hangover. Y'all are, are trying to come up with all these. No, here you go. Watch this. I'm going with the Hangover from the Los Angeles <laughs> Laker game, and I'm taking the Kings, Sacramento Kings. All I want to know is, is will Demarcus Cousins? Actually, be wait, on wait, his wait, best wait, 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 wait. I gave Rick bad advice. I'll be honest here. The, the, the Brooklyn Nets play at home on Thursday against the Celtics mm -hmm. on TNT. They are off Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday is the first game of the road trip at, at Sacramento. Sacramento. Yes. I'm, right. taking, I'm taking the Nets, by the way. 
I I am going to change my pick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to select the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, I'm okay. rocking with the, I'm rocking with Brooklyn. Oh, that's a Brooklyn sweep. Yes, I'm going with Jay-Z yeah. and Beyonce in Brooklyn. All right, we got two more. Uh third pick would be Houston at Utah. Mm-hmm. I I'll, I'll go with let me, I like Utah. I like the Jazz at home. And I like them sending a swarm at James Harden to, to slow the Rockets down. I'll go. I'll take Utah also at home. They're tough to beat, and uh, I'll go Utah. If I'm gonna make any headway, don't worry about I'm, our picks. I'm I'm gonna have to continue to draft off the YouTube. No, you just gotta be. <laughs> I'm going with Utah as well. You don't have to do that. You just got to be right. Yeah. No, not right now. <laughs> Too early. Hey, but I am leading my fantasy. Uh, <laughs> the final game will be the Clippers at San Antonio. Ooh. Is Vinny Del Negro still the coach? <laughs> Bill Jackson. Bill Jackson's the coach now. Uh, I'll, do, I'll go first, and uh, I'll take San Antonio. It's at San Antonio. I think they're the you know they they look so good to me this year. I was thinking last night, like, is that the team we need to be doing hour long podcasts about? Instead of the Lakers, but uh, uh, I'll take San Antonio. Not a, well, no comment. In yeah. an apology to making too many jokes about Vinny Del Negro's job, I'm sorry, Vinny. <laughs> I Vinny comes from the San Antonio tree. He does up, and I think the Clippers are going to go on the road and actually uh, show up and win in San Antonio. Yeah, I, I'm going with the Clippers for one reason and one reason only. Jamal Crawford loves to make a splash in opposing arenas. This would be an opportunity for him to go down there and show Manu Ginobili you're not the only man that can come off the bench and get buckets. I'm going with the Clips. I'm going with the Clips. And I, and listen, if I don't crawl out of this two-and-two two hole to come back and finish ahead of Lang this year, I know I'll never hear the end of it. So, Lang, I'm saying it right now. We got to put dinner at Versailles whenever we're in Miami the next time at the end of this season for the finals. More than I, you see how you treat me? You see how you, you treat too, me? Rick. I want you there too, but I'm putting this on Lang's head because he's the leader right now. I'm the bottom. Okay, all right. This is I think you, I, I was going to say, I believe you still owe me a dinner at Versailles from me beating you in fantasy football last oh, yeah, season. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Double or nothing. What However, is this Versailles? What is this Versailles? It's, it's a Cuban uh, restaurant. Oh, the Cuban restaurant. Oh, yeah, it's, Miami, it's, yeah. it's like at the epicenter of yeah, Cayocho no, down no. In, in Miami. It's, it's our yeah. spot. And I know you. See, I'm Bahamian, so you know exactly. So yeah. we will we will do dinner down there, and and we will do a podcast from there if they'll let us. With our guest, who was supposed to do one with us last year, one Genesis Rodriguez, who never who never came through on her I'll promise her to. I'll hit her up. Yeah. You so know, uh, one one thing that's funny about Vinny Del Negro, Rick was talking about. Uh-oh. So the other night, the Clippers were on TV, and I tweeted. They, I can't remember what game it was, but I tweeted. Scott Bayo did a great job coaching the Clippers tonight. <laughs> and the next day, I get a tweet from Scott Bayo. <laughs> I guess he searched his name or something. He found it. I get a tweet back. Yep, yeah, but I'm still not getting paid for it. Ha ha. Or something like that. There it is. I'm not sure what's creepier, Scott Bayo responding or you thinking about Scott Bayo when you watch the Clippers. But anyway. <laughs> we appreciate you coming out and hanging with us this week on the Hang Time Podcast. Lang Whitaker in New York, Rick Fox in L.A., Sekou Smith right here at the headquarters in Atlanta. We want to thank Warren Legary, the super agent himself, for coming on and joining us before he got on that flight to L.A. 
And our main man, Broderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And as always, say Kuna Matata.